Welcome back to Uproar Friends, stories from students conspiring for goodness from the heart of Detroit. Today on Uproar, we talk to Lydia and Kateri from G's Magazine about life and ministry in the time of Corona. This and all the ministries of Motor City Wesley are made possible by you. For as little as a dollar a month, you can support students in projects of conspiracy, community, and creativity. And you can find more information about that at MotorCityWesley.org. And of course, you can support this podcast by liking and reviewing it over on Apple Podcasts. Let's go. Well, here we are, everyone. <laughs> Back on Zoom, our brand new uh, fellowship hall and or meeting space. It's so underwhelming, isn't it, friends? <laughs> but I'm glad to be here with some friends from G's Magazine. Lydia and Kateri are here to talk a little bit about uh, how are we living faithfully through this time. We at Motor City Wesley are really cognizant of all of the college students uh, who are kind of now part of this diaspora of their school, uh, sent home to work online to finish up the semester, or stuck in a dorm because you're an international student and no one's around and the cafeteria is closed. Um, and we want to be sure to for you all to know, uh, anybody listening to this podcast, for you all to know that those of us that are working in, um, um, in organizing the faith community around justice and equity and health and just and grace and mercy, are um, we're really struggling alongside of you and wanting to think clearly about how we can do this well together. And so I'm really glad to be with these folks today to have that conversation and share it with you on our podcast. And uh, I'll throw it to Lydia to introduce herself and kind of start our round robin question and answering kind of um, process here for, for our conversation today. Lydia? Yeah, thanks, Carl. Uh, I am a writer, editor, activist, and mother, um, born and raised in Southwest Detroit, um, and now raising uh, with my partner, our um, four and seven-year-old on the same uh, street that I grew up on. Um, and um, I often think about sort of vocationally, what I love most is writing, but I've stumbled into this really wonderful world of editing too. And so, um, a lot of my life now at G's gets to be gathering stories of um, hope and resistance and uh, beauty that I think so so many of us need, and um, it ends up being a real a real gift to do. Um, and maybe I'll I'll start sort of as we're doing this as a podcast and. Part of us would have been doing this in person if this was not the um, COVID reality that we're all feeling. And a big part of the work of G's is um, that we're a print magazine. We're really committed to have to creating something that's tangible that you hold in your hands. That there's an embodied experience that. Um, it happens with the reading and the art and and it's so much of us have resisted moving to an online format um, to say we're not really interested in creating ways for people to sit and stare in front of a screen. Um, we want ways for people to get mm -hmm. off of computers and into community and reading around a dining room table or taking it to the woods and reading it or doing it in a book study group. Um, and now we're in this really sort of bizarre moment uh, where we're all sheltering in place in order to protect the most vulnerable um, and needing ways to connect. And that's very quickly turned to technology um, and to screens. Um, and I just wonder how you each are sitting with that question around technology and screens and um, what it means to be doing so much church on a screen um, and how we, what, what that looks like, what living faithfully looks like in our own isolation and the, the gifts and challenges of technology. Thank you, Lydia. Um, so I'll introduce myself briefly now to my name's Katiri Boucher and I'm the associate editor and circulation manager for G's Magazine and have been with the magazine since it moved to Detroit um, about a year and a half ago now. Um, I'm originally from Rochester, New York, um, which is 
where I'm, I'm living right now for these, uh, a few weeks at least, um, with my parents, um, sheltering in place here. And I, yeah, I think this question of, um, how to balance technology in our lives also still how to be living fully, um, has been really present for me. Um, I, have actually, I was just telling Carl that I've actually found a little bit more connection with my home church community, the one in Rochester, because it's gone online. I actually feel like I'm as much a part of that community now as anyone else, um, which is sort of a um, unexpected blessing from this moment. I've been doing Bible studies with them and um, attending the worship services. So that's made a really um, big difference in my life. But um, I also have been uh, struggling with the overload of technology, like both the, um, the, the gifts even that it's offering, like all these amazing, like zoom calls and online dance parties and all like many, many different things, um, that feel really tempting, but I think I've had to do even more, um, like self-restraint or discernment than usual about what is actually, feeding my soul, what is actually nourishing to me right now. Um, and I know many people, uh, have been turning to the outdoors, um, for that. And that's something that like, when I think about living faithfully right now in a shelter in place situation, I think the moments that that feels most, um, alive has been when I've stepped away from my computer and my phone and gone out to be with the trees or, um, in a field or just in my backyard. Um, like reconnecting to the parts of myself that um, are, yeah, just like very tangible and, and real. Um, and also I've been finding a lot of, like my eyes and my soul have been finding a lot of gratitude in just pulling open a book um, and reading or a G uh, issue of G's. I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> I do have my, this copy near me a lot. Um, and what it means to still have this so accessible um, in this moment, reading like people like Tom Burton and Dorothy Day have been companions right now. Even just having their books near me has felt like a, a tangible presence. So those are a couple of ways that I'm uh, trying to live faithfully in this moment. Yeah, um, I am father of two boys, five and one. Um, and we are sheltering here in Southwest Detroit. So we are able to break out for those kind of afternoon playtimes, bike rides, um, you know, in and around the block. Um, uh, and those feel really good because they're definitely a break from what could become this kind of terrible marathon of, you know, mediocre um, <laughs> screen time just fill the day kind of things. Um, so that, that is really important. I've also felt myself in this kind of in-between place between working with young people who really understand what a um, quality online experience is and um, a working in a congregation with the Youth and Young Adult Program that comes from a different era and hasn't invested a lot of time in figuring out what high quality engaging, you know, healthy online experience can be. And I, I'm glad to be present in that way, um, helping the online worship service be something other than a bad camera from the balcony, you know, actually we have some good cameras, but, <laughs> but something, you know, something more than just kind of um, a, a representation of some, a bad copy of the thing that's really good when you're there in person. And this is kind of a bad copy of it. So instead, you know, figuring out those ways to kind of use the, the technology at our disposal for a kind of experience that it has value in and of itself. And it tends to be more reliant on um, uh, people's uh, actual engagement instead of just kind of uh, receiving. Um, so, you know, with, with the magazine, I'm, I'm assuming it's something like the difference between just kind of reading it on your own and reading the magazine and being a part of the ongoing work talked about in the magazine or being a part of a community that's engaging with that and um, gaining your own insight from the, you know, the, the broadcast medium or the, the printed medium. 
So, so for me, those have been the healthiest moments. The, the breaking free of all the Zoom meetings with my kids um, and the helping the online experiences that we have um, speak in a healthy way into, into our lives. And plus, our friends have been doing a trivia night, which is really fun. And we haven't won yet. So that's another <laughs> thing that we want to keep working on. I was wondering if Lydia wanted to uh, answer that question at all that you asked. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, in a conversation with um, Kateri the other day, she was saying, like, how do we make sure that we're not just jumping to technology, but that we're pausing long enough to ask, like, are there other ways that we can figure out how to gather or be community or love one another or check in with one another that isn't just converting to screens, um, that there's a value, but like, how do we, how do we check in first in creative ways? Um, and I think, and also I think that there's just like such a, a grief in losing body connection to one another. Um, we feel this sort of real ironicness that we have just uh, sent out our latest issue in the mail and it's on um, disobedience and civil disobedience. And so much of it is about where you put your body and um, how important it is to not just resist and say no online or on Facebook, but to do that outside in the street with other bodies. Um, and now we're in a point where like, we can't do that. We're all inside. Um, and so what that means to be reading that right now is so, is really fascinating. Um, and there is this question of like, what's the cost of the reality that we can't organize massive bodies right now like will that have an effect on our what's happening on you know that we're not seeing because we're not able to to gather um and i i also just think there's real grief there that we need to sit in we had a um a lot of conversations you know every holy week we do the good friday walk through the streets of detroit um, and there was a lot of conversations of like, do we convert that to Zoom and do we do that online? And there's a real part of me that says no, like there's a way in which, you know, we, we can pretend that we're together by gathering on a screen, but there's also a part of us that just needs to feel the grief that like we're alone and um, that's sad and hard and we need to figure out how to um, feel that grief. Um, and, and not to say that there's not really important ways that technology is benefiting us, but I think we also don't want to just cope with technology and use that as a, a way of pretending. Um, because it's really hard not to be together, and there's so many things that we've lost um, because of that. I found myself, we have a friend of mine, that I grew up with in church passed away. Mm. Um, she had a long illness and I found myself borrowing from the ideas that pop up on street corners in our neighborhood from time to time, which is a time displaced memorial of sorts. Um, you know, from time to time, there'll be like RIP so-and-so painted on a wall or hung on a lamppost around here and candles and flowers and forties and, you know, um, <laughs> all sorts of things will be left as people pass by. And, um, mm. I know you guys provided the, um, the booklet for the good Friday mm -hmm. walk. right? Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that is a friend of ours in this moment to say, <sighs> rather than just up, a Facebook page with a nice fuzzy picture of those we have lost. Is there a way to give people a chance to do this kind of time displaced place to go walk by themselves, mm -hmm. leave a flower, um, walk the stations by themselves six or 20 or 50 feet from anyone else uh, yeah. at, at your own time. Um, and it's been important for me to, um, recognize the moments that just we need to shift how we are doing a thing mm -hmm. uh, rather than a yes or no 
that's been really helpful for me. So kind of thinking, okay, what could, how could we do it? What, you know, uh, and to be honest, there are some things that just aren't going to work, but, mm-hmm. but that's been helpful for me too. I love that idea of the grieving with the post, um, by leaving something and, and revisiting it. And that feels like that's one of the main questions that we have before us too, is how we, how we grieve and around death. Um, and we're, we're in this very funny situation at G's where we a year ago decided that our fall issue was going to be on death and dying. Um, and we're about to create our pitch to put out, to say, send us your ideas for stories. And we had no idea that we would be sending that out in this context. Um, and there's so many justice questions and political questions and spiritual questions around how we die and how we care for the dying and how we bury the dead. And it feels like this is a moment where that throws all of that off that we don't get to sit beside the dying a lot of the time and we don't get to be with the body right away and we don't get to gather and have a funeral. And so there's going to need to be so many new ways of thinking and creativity around how we grieve and how we grieve in community and how we, how we do death well in this context. Um, It just, it feels very different. Hey everybody, Carl here, just in the middle to tell you a little bit about the project that we are pursuing along with support from the Forum for Theological Exploration. Motor City Villages is a chance for us to recruit train and place young students of color for the creation of intentional Christian communities for the purposes of vocational and spiritual discernment. We're really looking forward to this fall where we'll get our first chance to see some of this in action all the way through next June of 2021. So if you have a student at any campus in Metro Detroit, we'd love to get to know them and to tell them a little bit about how we could support them in calling a group of students together, creating a rule of life, pursuing justice and equity work, and doing the discernment around all of that experience that helps them claim God's call in their life. Be in touch with us at MotorCityWesley.org if there's a student in your neck of the woods that we should meet and call them into this mission field of Motor City Villages. We're at MotorCityWesley.org. We'll talk to you soon. Kateri, you got a question for us? Sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure if we should move on to another yet, but I guess, um, well, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll go here now. I'm curious about uh, both of you having young kids at home and specifically what it means to be a parent in this moment. I've been thinking so much about all of you, all of my friends with with kids um, who are really struggling and or or maybe not struggling, but having to work really hard to make it through. Um, so I'd love if you, either of you could talk about, um, any like lessons that you've been learning from it or just challenges that you've been facing and, uh, how, how your parenting has had to shift to meet this. Yeah. I I just want to give a shout out to the college student babysitters the folks at our daycare center, uh, my son's teacher at the Montessori here at Mayberry. Um, the, the, I am really missing the, the positive uh, interaction that our kids have had with other adults um, mm-hmm. in, in various kind of ways that I <laughs> feel like, boy, I, 24 hours of me must be a real letdown after you hang out with all those fun people. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, so for me, that, that means trying to double down on the things that I um, feel like I can do well with my sons. Um, and, you know, thinking like, hey, let's, um, let's make a stupid Facebook live show and put it up, you know, with your, your, action figures um or let's go in the backyard and um fumble through creating a chicken coop for these little chicks that we inherited from your school classroom that shut down um because i'm really good at fumbling through building things 
Uh, anyway, it's just uh, the the fruitfulness, the kind of well-roundedness of their life when they can interact with the whole community is really beautiful. And I really mm-hmm. miss that. Mm-hmm. And so again, in, instead of a yes or no kind of way, rather, uh, so, so what kind of way, um, I'm hoping that we're, uh, I'm tapping into some of the, the spending more time doing some of the things that I don't get to do because I'm working, um, you know, because they're at school. Um, and now we have a little bit of that time and being intentional about doing them uh, in a way that's helpful has been helpful. Has, has been good for me anyways as a parent I feel like I'm not totally letting them down by just kind of being an annoying parent telling them to take their dishes to the kitchen instead you know mm-hmm. more often mm-hmm. I don't know. Lydia what do you think yeah I mean it's really hard right figuring out how to um, have kids at home and also be working from home um, is is a serious challenge um, one of the things that I've thought a lot about is that the ways that there have been days where it feels hard to get out of bed because of like the fear and the anxiety. And I think there are times where I might just stay in bed all day, but I can't because the kids get me out of bed. Um, and there's so much joy there all the time um, with them. And I think I feel a lot of gratitude for getting to have this time with them. Um, and I also just knowing that like, this is really emotionally hard time for everyone and how we figure out how to be as gentle with one another's hearts as possible. Um, Isaac, who's, um, seven, especially feels the, the fear of it and understands what's happening and is very worried about his grandpa and making sure that he's safe and, um, so just knowing how much they're carrying it. Like, I think one of my favorite things that we've done is that my dad has called at bedtime two or three nights a week and like t- makes up a story and tells it to them on a speaker. And um, he, they like often end up falling asleep to the sound of his voice. And when it's so hard to say like, I'm so worried about my dad. And yet the response to that right now has to be that I don't see him and I don't get to hug him. And that's so counterintuitive to everything that I believe, but figuring out ways to have intimacy um, and love with with our community feels really important. Um, I also have ended up sort of loving the things that I get to do with the kids. So sort of my own capacity is like, I can think of one hour a day of like an, of an activity, you know, and, um, and also really grateful that a lot of the rest of the day we can spend out time outside. Like the fact that it's spring is such a gift. Um, but I, it's like, we've got so many movement kids books that like, I never read as much as like, I wish that we did. Like we don't, and so picking like one book a day and then figuring out an activity to go with it has been awesome. So we're reading about Malala and Harriet Tubman and Rosa Parks and like all these really wonderful people and figuring out how to connect that to work. Um, so like we're learning about the Underground Railroad and making art around the drinking gourd and also learning about constellations. And we're reading a book about the water protectors and then writing letters to Mike Duggan to say, turn the water back on to folks in Detroit who are living through a pandemic without water. And um, we're, I'm, I'm going to next week and do some conflict resolution stuff where I put in conflicts and we act them out and we work on creating I statements uh, and we're going outside and taking nature notes and keeping a feelings journal. And so it feels like there are things that like, I don't necessarily usually have the time to spend intentionally thinking about that are things that also are not necessarily the normal curriculum of school. They get to feel like a really um, wonderful chance to, to work with my kids in intentional ways and they wanna do it. Um, and they're pretty amazing these days and uh, doing really well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both for sharing more about that. And the other question, whether we, address it now or if, if you want to ask another question, Carl, but like on the other side, which um, Lydia, you're just kind of getting at is like, how do we interact with our elders right now? And like holding questions around um, 
what makes sense to do to support them, um, knowing that like our physical presences could be putting them at risk, just how to hold um, that tension right now. How is that for you, Kateri? You're, you're in proximity of your folks, yeah? Yeah, and, and my parents are both um, quite young and, and not, they're pretty uh, low risk in terms of their own health. Um, but I just came here like for the first two weeks that I was here, I was in semi-quarantine. Um, so still trying to be protective of them. Um, now we're all interacting more just as of the last couple of days. But I am, the question that I'm holding um, closely is considering going to see my um, older grandparents in New Hampshire who are both quite high risk. Um, and they are, yeah, their, their mental health is starting to get really affected. They're used to having um, people, they're very social. They're used to having people in and out a lot. And I think, I, I don't know, I guess I'm sort of leaning against it right now. Um, but we, the whole family has been in conversation about this and it's um, just a very difficult question to be like, they're asking me to come and they want me to be there with them. But I, um, and I I've been pretty low risk, but it feels hard to to even fathom the, the idea of me bringing something there that would um, severely affect their, their health or even their lives. Um, yeah, I think that the not knowing has been um, a theme that m many of us are experiencing, um, especially with, with older folks or people who are more at risk. Yeah. I was thinking that the, uh this hitting in the kind of height of spring break season was it, it kind of forced the question because you're in the middle, you're, you know, you're down in new Orleans, you, you know, you're having a good time. And then all of a sudden you have to go home. You can't stay at school. And, um, the, that kind of that, I don't know, placing that kind of invincibility. We're going to live forever. It's always going to be spring break party time thing with, uh, the sober reality of how we need to, um, exist for one another particularly those who are older um really is stark and i'm hoping that it's enlightening at the same time that putting those things close together will kind of open up some understanding for particularly young adults in a way that um might not have if it had happened some other way mm -hmm. Yeah, it's again, it's one of those really counterintuitive pieces of like, oh, our elders are vulnerable and in trouble. And I want to figure out how to like wrap my arms around them. Um, and, the, you know, it, it, I hope it makes sense of what we're doing that so many elders are like alone right now and that that's out of protection for them. Um, but I think it asks a lot culturally about how how we respect and love and honor our elders. And I, I mean, I've seen a lot of the reports that like in the United States, we may have a much higher um, death rate because all of our elders live together um, in nursing homes or retirement communities where a lot of other countries have intergenerational homes. And that's going to make a difference to how many elders die. And like, I just wonder if it's a moment for us to think about how, how we live and who we live with and um, how we love our elders. We have been um, in our neighborhood having a weekly Zoom call where we check in about resources and needs. And one of the first things that we do is just sort of say like, what, how are all of our elders? Like, have we heard from them? Have we seen them? Have we checked in on them? Um, just like keeping their, their names and, in our minds and, and making sure that we're um, checking in on them. And I, and I also think, I mean, I've talked to a lot of elders who, you know, like, especially my dad, who is usually on the front lines of um, <laughs> work and it's really hard for him not to be on the front lines and to keep doing all of the, the risks and the care and the water distributions or whatever the work is of the moment. Um, and I think it's also an opportunity to say to our elders, like, trust another generation, like we're gonna pick up some of the load here right now. 
And like, what we need you to do is like stay healthy and intercede on our behalf and, you know, be there. You can give us some pastoral support on the phone, but like we as a young, as younger generations can step it up right now and um, figure out ways to step into shoes that elders have been carrying for a long time as a way of, of loving them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As another brief anecdote, my, my great aunt um, is very offended to realize that she's an older person at age 72. <laughs> she has to stay home and um, can't volunteer. Um, I think it's, it's, yeah, been a, uh, I'm sure a difficult experience for some of those elders who are especially incredibly active still um, to be told sometimes by their families, we need you to stay home right now. Um, I'm sh- I know it's brought up some complicated dynamics for, for some folks trying to negotiate with their parents, grandparents um, about those kinds of boundaries. But I do, um, yeah, I, I agree with Lydia about the, like trying to use this moment to um, ask not just the elders to trust the younger generation, but as someone in the younger generation to ask ourselves to step up and try to um, try to meet that where they have left off. Well, I've been hearing a little bit from you guys, but uh, I'm also interested in uh, the kind of, what are the narratives, the scripture passages, the books, the um, resources that you've been turning to or that you would send people in the direction of during this time that are um, giving you a sense of living well in this, even in this moment? Um, Do any of those come to mind for you? In, in terms of reading, I have had no time to do that other than children's books. So I could give you a great list of children's books that have um, <laughs> been very helpful. And I can tell you that the um, the issue that we're working on in G's right now, which will come out this summer, is on um, trees. And that has been super healing and wonderful to think of um, both the experience of being with trees right now as a uh, place to to be but also just sort of the words and stories are really nice to think about how trees can can hold us uh in this time um but in terms of like grown-up books i uh i I, you know my time is very limited so i'm gonna pass that one to kateri (laughs) (laughs) sure um so i guess i will start with like the scripture piece um because i've sort of joked that all of a sudden i feel like i'm in a like online pandemic seminary um because i've had there have been all these opportunities i'm already in a couple online um like christian related classes and then also doing a couple bible studies with my church and then lectio divina with our our um, detroit group Um, So I've been spending a lot more time with the Bible than honestly ever before, kind of by accident. But um, for me, it actually has been incredibly grounding um, just to be engaging with these texts um, that are just all about um, facing difficult moments, trying to do it in community, sometimes literally plague and quarantine um, and um, yeah, how to, how to be human in the midst of, of those times. I think that's the central question I see throughout the whole, um, the whole text as, as, um, to borrow a line from, from Stringfellow there. Um, and my dad just did a, a Bible study through my, our home church here, which is, um, Spiritus Christi. And, um, he focused a lot on, um, the Exodus story. Um, and, thinking specifically about this um, this moment that we're in as a time of going out to the wilderness, um, being forced into the wilderness. And, um, you know, there are moments that come up in that, in that story about um, people who the, some of the, the um, Israelites who had been liberated and were now out in the wilderness and asking like, well, why can't we go back? There was, there was comfort there. There was good food. Um, and maybe we should, uh, just consider that and, um, watching for ways that like 
in our own selves, this desire to go back to normal right now or back to um, ways of empire rather than um, really living into this wilderness moment, um, even in its discomfort um, and trying to get to a place in ourselves and our communities that we don't need to be rushing out of it. Um, We can actually learn from from being in the wilderness and then turning also to um, the stories of Jesus going to the wilderness and being tempted um, and how that sort of is, is showing up for all of us, our, our various temptations at this time. Um, so yeah, the, the scriptures have been really powerful for me. And in terms of other books, I've, I've definitely heard a lot of people turning to um, Octavia Butler, a, another form of scripture, I think. Um, her parables of the sower and the talents are maybe a little eerily uh, apocalyptic at, at this current time, but I've, I certainly have seen a lot of people um, reading or rereading those. Um, and for me, I named a few other people like Thomas Merton and Dorothy Day, um, Mary Oliver, people who are sort of take like a, a contemplative um approach and are really like I I think that you know many many of those writers uh the central question is um how to be like adapt continually adapting to change and um how do we get to a place where we uh can face uncertainty with such a sense of groundedness whether it's in um the natural world or the church or your own self and contemplation um those have been some central texts for me. I've really found myself uh, pulled back toward the musicians in, in my life. Uh, the folks who, they, they're not necessarily writing new songs, but the songs that they have speak to me in a different way now. So just creating the playlist of, you know, the for exile, basically. Um, anything that reeks of kind of how do we fix it stuff gets so tiring so fast because you can't fix it fast, which is probably a great uh, analog to actual, you know, Babylonian exile um, in the wilderness, whatever it is in, in those biblical narratives that help us understand this kind of endurance and hope, but without, but also indefiniteness. And so it's been the the artists that just listening to music, the, the reality is um, a lot of out of work artists that don't have gigs anymore that are doing a lot more stuff online. And so there's been a number of evenings of us spending, spending the night uh, on Instagram TV, watching people do live things from their living room and being informed that way. And even one of, one of the artists that I uh, listened to here in Michigan turned to doing, um, lessons and so support him a little bit and able to talk to him about songwriting and kind of work on that kind of the creative output side because both my wife has been doing some extra writing and I've been working on from the kind of music angle um, instead of trying to fix the big global pandemic problem we can work on our own skill set uh, of creativity and processing and, and that in itself is kind of this generative resource in our life, um, which feels nice. And um, so I just, I'm really glad for Spotify right now because I can <laughs> do a lot of good work and wake up to this hopeful playlist that, you know, keeps growing as we, as we move through this time. I, I think both of what you talking about in terms of exile and, and wilderness sort of begs a, a question for me um, of sort of Katir, you saying like, we can't go back, um, that there may not be a moment where we return to life as normal, that everything may be shifted here. And there are a lot of things that should shift and can shift. And there's um, some, maybe some hope and creativity that comes into that. Um, and that's sort of been one of the things that I've thought about with this current issue of G's is that for many of us who aren't um, on the front lines of the work right now or, you know, and who have 
um, who have homes to shelter in place, there is sort of this new quietness and stillness and time. Um, and it feels, I, I keep thinking about um, Grace Boggs's quote about these are the times to grow our souls. Um, and I think like that's a lot of our work right now is one to, to rest if we can, because I think for so many of us, capitalism has exhausted us and um, we're in need of that time to, to catch up and rest, but then also to think about who we're going to be coming out of this and what are the, who are the people that we want to be reading and how are the ways that we want to shift our lives to think about um, what happens next. Um, and I just wonder, yeah, if, if we're all going to be needed on the, on the other side of this and there's going to be a lot of um, changes that have happened and, you know, in terms of people's um, financial situations and like so much, there's going to be a lot of pain that won't just be medical on the other side of this. Uh, and I wonder if you guys have any thoughts about where we're going, what's on the other side of this wilderness and, and how we're going to get there. I, I'm, I'm still struggling with that question of like, what, what will come next? Um, I, I mean, I think part of the like wilderness experience is like, you have to go what like, but you don't know what will come after um, or even how long it will last. And I'm, I'm certainly thinking a lot about, um, this question of like how to use this moment to push analyses forward, like break open some of the lies, honestly, that uphold, um, our culture. And I think that's happening naturally. Like just the fact that it's it this experience is like laying bare some of the things that many folks have known for for a long time um which is that we all are connected and we 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 are absolutely reliant on um each other and each other's health and well-being and um I, yeah i i think a lot how we come out of this will depend so much on the conversations that we're able to push forward um with folks who like to really metabolize this moment um, for folks who might have been um, thinking about some of these issues or thinking about like our culture, but maybe not able to see until just now um, how, how clearly um, inhumane this, this system, uh, these systems are, but I don't know. It scares me to not know, but I, I really feel like uh, there are many ways that this, that this could go. Um, it, it's like being written right now. Yeah, um, I've been experiencing the kind of um, already not yetness of a moment like this. Um, with that kind of, I have no idea what's going to happen, you know. But then seeing some signs in the immediate time of people stepping into a new way of being that frankly is surprising uh and and the the one that comes to mind is there are these ho home churches who have sent their college students away right and they send them a care package you know midway through the first semester usually and then maybe they'll see them at thanksgiving and maybe they'll see them in the summer you know basically that's the relationship with college students right now but then now they're all home and these home churches have started to they've realized that it's important to offer these folks who are kind of in this weird phase of life, a way to connect. So they're setting up the zoom meeting for college students that have returned. They're, you know, um, uh, calling them and making sure everything's okay. And I, it was heartwarming to see that. And I can't help but imagine that this experience when you're facing kind of the you know, existential reality of the crisis. And you're wondering if we're, we are even going to be together, you know, around at the end of this, that um, it's those moments of claiming kind of that new life right now that'll are the best shot at carrying through to the end, getting us there and then getting us into a new way of being afterwards. So I'm glad to see some signs of that and praying for more. And, um, you know, 
praying that I can be helpful in in inviting people into those kind of new ways too, um, in a way that doesn't just uh, this do- doesn't sound like a raving lunatic on the street corner, but um, that can be invitational that way. I wonder if that's um, sort of a, a place for all of us to end is, is naming places where we're seeing signs of hope right now. I, I can say for me, um, early on in the first couple of days when folks started sheltering in place, we made a commitment of neighbors to anybody who was interested could come outside at five o'clock onto their porches just to wave and say hello and remember that we're not alone. Um, And it's been amazing. Like I would say every day there's 15 to 20 people that come outside and gather on a corner 10-ish feet away from each other. Um, And uh, but I really think that that is the thing that's getting my kids through this. Like they look forward to it. They would never miss a five o'clock neighbor time. Um, and we're spending a lot of time with neighbors that we didn't see on a monthly basis, let alone a daily basis. Um, and so in some ways I feel like I'm having all of this social time and relationship and community building in a different way. And, you know, like last week we had a one-year-old birthday party and everybody brought their own treat and we sang 10 different versions of happy birthday. And yesterday my four-year-old learned how to ride a two-wheeler without training wheels and 20 people applauded him as he like went down the, down the street. And um, I think, you know, we have to keep reevaluating and figuring out what's safe and how to do it. Um, But we're exercising at noon on Mondays and we're singing together on Sunday evenings. And uh, I think just being the, the gift of creativity and community um, has been a real sign of hope for me and uh, real joy that keeps our family going on a daily basis. Something that's um, been really hopeful and exciting to me is just witnessing like the mutual aid efforts popping up all around the country and the world. And even just the phrase mutual aid, um, finally being like very commonly talked about and, um, seeing, I mean, you know, just in like the Detroit Facebook group, um, there are folks who actually like, I think that this current, um, time of sickness and losing jobs and, food sources um, has brought out more need, but there are ways in which I think people are being able to put asks on that page that they might've even had before, um, like for diapers or for food. And are this is like the first moment that they're getting them met by people in their community. It's this bizarre, it's like an ironic kind of um, moment that we're actually meeting each other's needs um, perhaps in some better ways now than we were able to uh, before this crisis time. So mutual aid efforts have been really exciting, especially the ones that are done um, in those online like platforms, I think. Um, and I'm also really grateful for um, the sorts of like creative uh, food source Thing that's come up like people thinking I just know a lot of people right now who are like I should really have a garden um or Carl you talking about like putting up this chicken coop like you're learning how to do that right now um and even though it's sort of like there's this urgency around it or maybe there's like fear that's um you know causing it I feel like the effects of that are going to be huge um and thinking about, especially in Detroit, what it means for folks to already be, many people are ahead of the game um, uh, in that way, knowing what it means to have to have autonomy over your food sources. Detroiters have been talking about that for years and years. Um, and many, you know, we're kind of set up in that way to be uh, meeting this moment where it is not knowing what's coming or what, what food will be available to us in the future. So yeah, food and mutual aid, really exciting. 
Well, I'll just give a shout out to the man who made me ugly cry at 6 a.m. on Monday, John Krasinski and his Some Good News uh, uh, show. Um, it's just, you know, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt sitting around in their, you know, nice house, figuring out what they can do to make people feel better and getting the cast of um, Hamilton to sing to a girl on her birthday because she couldn't go and see the show. Um, there's just a, this moment of saying, even if I'm not an essential healthcare worker or something like that, there, and you know, I'm, I'm an actor or something, that I can find a way to put into the world something that'll help us get through um, kind of the best of our creative, in, you know, um, um, the best of our creative fruitfulness can, can come into this moment. It's good. And then I don't think that he knows, but the, you know, there are, there are elements of my own denomination uh, of Christianity that call themselves good news that are all about these kind of internal theological squabbles and kind of really antithetical to this mutual, <laughs> mutual support in a time of crisis. And I'm just really glad that he has unknowingly reclaimed the term good news in a way um that i celebrate as well um sometimes seeing the gospel of jesus christ enacted uh almost unintentionally by folks outside of the church is is a sign of hope for me and i really really appreciate that as i do appreciate all of your time today friends thank you so much um we are want to give a shout out to everybody listening all the students that are around and um know that we are we're praying for you and we hope that this kind of conversation gives you a sense that um of our of our shared experience some capacity to to make it in this moment and a little sense of where we might be in the end are there um some uh, benediction words lydia and kateri you'd like to leave people with kateri do you have your poem in front of you Oh, uh, I know it. I can read it. I okay, that'd be great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, this is a poem that I wrote a few days ago, mostly just in light of the uncertainty uh, that we're all facing. Um, it doesn't really have a title, so I'll just begin. Um, this is a field called I Don't Know, and we are being asked to lie down in it. This is a door to God knows where, and we are being taken through it. This is a prayer called why, and it is plenty for tonight. These are bodies calling out to us, and they are begging us to listen. These are hands called longing, and they will never stop their reaching. Uproar is the brainchild of Samson Koba III. Thanks, Sam, for getting us launched on this last year. It also is our place for continuing to tell the stories of students conspiring for goodness from the heart of the city of Detroit. We hope that you'll support us at MotorCityWesley.org for as little as a dollar a month for individuals and $40 a month for churches who would like to be a part of our network of young adult faith communities around Metro Detroit. Just get in touch with us, MotorCityWesley.org. We're looking to conspire with you. Cheers.